Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. This is Daniel Koba of ASHP. My guests today are Chris Scholler, President and CEO of Christopher Productions, and Rear Admiral Pamela Schweitzer, retired Assistant Surgeon General and the 10th Chief Pharmacist Officer of the United States Public Health Service. They're here to discuss the recent PBS documentary, Vaccination from the Misinformation Virus. Welcome, Chris and Pam, and thanks for agreeing to talk with me today. Great to Yay. be here. Great to be here. You know, it's an interesting morning for us to have this conversation when we're having it on the day that the Food and Drug Administration has announced the the approval of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. So how appropriate that we're talking this morning. Yeah, I sent messages out when I saw that coming. I bombarded people with it. So it's great. Yeah, we, we need to do that. We need to bombard people so that we can drive vaccination rates across the country. I agree with you, Pam. Chris, you were the producer and director for this documentary, and you know, over the last 20 years, you've created over 100 television programs that have focused on educational and societal issues, creating children's programming, cultural and social documentaries, and family series television. What inspired you to take on the issue of vaccinations and vaccination misinformation? Well, about, boy, it was 2017, an infectious disease doctor, Walter DeHorty, had seen a program of mine that we had just finished up on childhood obesity issues across the country. And he reached out to me and said, I'm, I'm taking you to lunch. I got an idea. And th- this was 2017. And we went to lunch and he said he, he teaches and he does all this infectious disease stuff. He's actually doing trials right now for kids 6 to 12 for the COVID vaccine at this moment brilliant man. And he said, my students did a study on the media's portrayal of vaccination over time, over the last 50 years. And he showed me this study and we started talking about it. It was stunning how how the portrayal of vaccines had changed from way back when Errol Flynn was the doctor that discovered the vaccine that saved the community to today with with, uh, movies that show you get the vaccine, you turn into a werewolf. That was really the the strain. And it's true not only of movies, but it's true of television. And of course, I've spent my last 30 years in the industry of television and and film, and I've seen it happen. So he said, we have got to do something as as a pushback and as, as information and accurate and honest and truthful information, what can we do? So we started at that time researching how to put something together that was going to be effective and and uh, intelligent, scientifically accurate, and could be used in a variety of ways. And so that, that, that caught my imagination. That was 2017. When the pandemic hit, then we reinvigorated and redoubled our efforts. And that's when Admiral Schweitzer got involved and, and the whole thing just took off at that point. How did things change? How did your perspectives change for the documentary as the producer and the director with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic? It changed in a, in a very sad way, in a, in a lot of ways. When, when we look at the way that the media has changed, I mean, when I started, in, and this ages me, in the mid-80s, early 80s, I was on television as a CBS affiliate, and it was, you know, there were four or five stations, and that was it, and you had Walter Cronkite, and, you know, the whole thing. 
And then when social media has just taken over, I mean, really, anybody under the age of 40 gets their primary information through social media. So so when I saw when the pandemic hit and when I saw the information that was going out there through social media and even even locally television stations, I mean, people didn't know what was happening. And it, it scared me. It really frightened me. So. I mean, it, it became more important for us to figure out a way to do this in a honest, appropriate manner than ever before. And so we had spent, Daniel, we'd spent two years from 2017 to 2019. It was really beneficial looking at how people's perceptions through the media, through social media, through regular media, how that affects their behaviors, especially when it comes to health concerns. And I thought, for goodness sake, I thought, listen, all we have to do is tell them the truth. All we have to do is give them the information. All we have to do is listen to what people are saying that's incorrect, take that information as it's incorrect and say, no, this is incorrect and here's why and here's all the backup research. And what we found was that doesn't work. That does not work with people. So we had to find different ways to do it. And I, I, I think and I hope that this is going to do that very thing. Yeah. And Pam, what about you? You and your husband, along with many organizations, including ASHP, made a decision to provide financial support for this documentary. What drove you to that level of commitment? Well, first of all, we're, I can tell you that, that I know Chris is extremely grateful for everybody that contributed to this and how we got involved. And it's actually, it's kind of a similar story. It's amazing the path that that we take to get somewhere. So our daughter had, she had, you know, we have grandchildren now. And so this is all prior to the pandemic. I remember she's on social media. She is that group that gets a lot of her information on social media. And she would be coming to me, mom, what do you think about this? She would always, and I'm like, well, that's not right. So then I'd go research it and, and then get her back the correct information. And then hopefully she was passing this on and correcting people. But I, we noticed at that time that people would take and there was some truth in whatever that message was and it would get sort of twisted. So then the pandemic hits and the we right away, of course, that same group that she's around and Chris knows this because I was telling him how I, I totally get the social media piece. Our daughter would come and talk to me about mom, I'm seeing this on social media and this is on the treatments. And they, they would have, it was just on everything off COVID. So we hadn't even got to the vaccine yet. So when the public health, we were talking about this, we knew way early on that this misinformation was going to be something, it was already terrible already about, about, the, vac, about the treatment, about testing, about everything about the, the virus. We knew it was going to be even worse. So then we meet meet Chris and Chris has this program. He's been working on this for so long and not only not only for COVID and, and, and the virus and the vaccine, but prior to then. And that's where actually I got involved more was with the vaccines with children because we had our grandchildren. So anyway, I decided my husband and I said, we're all in because this is about our grandkids. This is about our future generations. And in the folks in public health, we knew this was going to be an issue. When I had gone to the leadership of the, you know, the federal leadership, they were still working on testing back then. And even though they were all for this, they, they knew this was going to be a problem down the road. We didn't see any energy being enough energy being put into this, knowing that this was going to be an issue, this was going to be an issue down the road. 
So that's why my husband and I, we were just passionate about this topic and we want to help the future generations. Got it. So the documentary included people from some of the communities most affected by COVID-19, African-Americans, Hispanics, and Native Americans. Chris, as you worked on filming, what did you learn about the reasons for vaccine information and resistance in these groups? I tell you, it, it was fascinating. Admiral Schweitzer helped me a lot in terms of understanding these different communities. I thought going into it, listen, again, if, if, you, if you're honest and you're truthful and you explain it, people will go get it. They're, why wouldn't they? But, but there are so many other factors. I, I learned that there are so many other factors to hesitancy, very legitimate factors, very much. There are concerns that people have in a variety of ways. Anecdotally, I talked to a lot of people from, from the Hispanic community, as you, as you mentioned, the African-American community, the Native American community. We're based in Albuquerque, so that's really easy for us to get to those communities in a way. And, and I learned that it was different if you were in a tribal community in Oklahoma versus the tribal community in Alaska Natives. I learned that it was different for African-Americans in South Carolina than it is for African-Americans in Los Angeles or Chicago. And there, there are different reasons and there are a lot of nuanced reasons to people's concerns and hesitancy around the vaccine, which made it very difficult in a way to, to address those, those issues. However, we found, and luckily, because we've been working on it for a while, we found some really key, wonderful, spectacular people who could help explain this to us and to our viewers in ways that really, I don't know, settled me down. I was, I was just going to shake people, listen, get the vaccine. You've got to understand this is going to save your life and your kid's life. But it settled me down to the point of listening more. To really, you have to listen. And, and the doctors that we talked to and the people, of, as you saw in, in the documentary, they are really good, good listeners. I had an interesting conversation, actually, two nights ago with Dr. Walter DeHarty about, he, he's the, the gentleman working on the uh, 6 to 12-year-old vaccine study now. And, and he was talking about these little kids who they, ha they have to sign a release themselves. Their parents do too, but they have to sign a release themselves that says, I understand this. I'm doing this because I want to do it and all this stuff. And a couple little kids were really scared about the needles. The needles scared these kids. And, and he sat down and he would talk to them. He's a wonderful man. You, you saw him in the documentary. He's exactly as he seems in the film. And he listens to these kids. And, he, and that was a key takeaway for me to listen, to spend the time to sit there and listen, not just spout out, here's why you have to take it, but to understand. And then, and Admiral Schweitzer can talk to this at our screening in Phoenix, the doctor who said, you have to do the dance. Everybody dances a little bit differently, he said. And it was, it was a beautiful phrase saying, you know, you have to see how people are going to dance so that you can address that appropriately. That was the biggest takeaway for me, learning all the differences, that they're legitimate differences, that they are legitimate concerns, and how we address those differs from area to area and person to person. So, Pam, what was that about doing the dance differently What the, that came out in Phoenix? Oh, about doing that your approach has to be different for all the different for all the different groups it's not not one size fits all so you know what for me what kind of stood out in the when i saw the documentary is the importance of trust 
and somehow the how the medical system how it's sort of designed and and we need to kind of change some of it or reward when there is trust established because people you know they go to someone you watch and and I learned this a lot work from working in the indian communities too and working with underserved communities too is they go to their leaders and they get try to get that guidance from them too about what to do and and then they have questions in the immediate families you know there's families lots of family discussions i'm sure have been taking place in our own neighborhood so anyway i think we need a better way to counter the misinformation faster so it doesn't get viral so quick we can nip it quicker so anyway i realized it was eye-opening for me i for me personally i thought it was did a great job of really helping people understand that we've got to listen we've got to listen to their concerns we've got to listen and we may not know all the answers but we can go and and start working on it and an, and try to answer some of those questions and concerns they have so Pam, you spent years in the public health community and you, you made reference to the, the Indian Health Service, for example. It, one of the things that jumped out at me and was I was really impressed by, amazed by, was the physician who spent time talking about government interference in the 1980s, as late as the 1980s, in reproductive health in women in the Native American community. And and so I think that goes to some of that distrust that you were referring to a minute ago. Did any of that surprise you? I mean, were even given your time in the in the public health community, did any of this surprise you? No, we had I had known about this. And I'll be honest with you, I even saw it when I was in it and I saw not so much that far, that extreme, but saw other things. And I'm like, I cringed every time. It really, I'm glad that came out in this. I didn't know what Chris was going to be doing, but I'm glad that came out because there are things that have happened more recent than that, that I just cringe at. Just it, it, it bothered. I'm glad it came out because we need to be receptive to re- the reasons why they're hesitant with the reason why there's not, trust in anything related to the federal government. And that's why it's so important to work with the leaders. But then the leaders also, they get a little bit tainted a little bit if they work too closely with the federal government. So there's this balance in there. So no, I it did not surprise me. You know, Daniel, and, and piggybacking off of that, the, the idea of, I mean, I, I know about historical trauma, but listen, I am a white privileged male. I understand that. I, I, do, I need to listen more. I need to understand more and able to, to, to really discuss historical trauma. But we had, as you saw, Sabrina Cherry from UNC Wilmington, who talked about historical trauma in a way, and I've got to tell you, behind the scenes, we, we interviewed her for an hour, and the crew and I were stunned into silence listening to this woman. Now, we can only use sections of it in the documentary. But when she talked about historical trauma and she said, you know, most people think, okay, it's history. It's years ago. Get over it. You know, it's ongoing. It's ongoing. And not only through health, it's ongoing through food deserts. It's ongoing through systems of education 
And, and I never thought of it all being wrapped into one thing, that in fact, that historical trauma, I mean, we all know, and it's horrible, the George Floyd thing, when we talk about the, the, the prison system or the, the law enforcement system, I mean, there's issues around those things all over the place. But when we look at all the other systems, the education system, when we look at the food system, when we look at all those different systems, historical trauma is going on and is ongoing up through and to today. And as a result of that, that all weaves together in people's decisions, you know, do I trust? Do I trust? And and it, it was a fascinating look at that, I think. So, so going back to that, and Pam, I'll start with you, but I imagine you'll both want to jump in on this issue. The tying together historical trauma and issues of trust, and clearly there's all of this focus right now on the COVID-19 vaccine. Pam, before you, you know, you referenced your interest in vaccination more broadly in children. Are there lessons that can be learned in pedia in other vaccination efforts? If it's is standard vaccinations in children or the HPV vaccination in adolescents, do you see other opportunities to apply the lessons learned here? Yeah, and I'll just I'll talk a little bit about because I had quite a bit of experience in the Indian Health Service while I was there. But what we found, and I'll just give a couple of examples, is that so let's say we had our federal facility and maybe they didn't trust or they didn't want to come up to the to the government facility, but we could work with the local tribal community. They may have public their own public health nurses or their community they had their community representatives that we could work with them and maybe they can, we can coordinate with them and they can go into the community and they could do some of the vaccinations or they would work with the tribal leaders and figure out what's the best way Do we want to do this at the school, but it wouldn't necessarily involve the federal employees or the, or the federal government, but it was, we'd work with the local community. So I think I'm seeing right now, even with COVID, a lot of that taking place right now, where they're reaching out to these local communities, to the church leaders and, and finding ways that we can actually, what would work in your community and, and trying to get that message correct and try to listen to what would meet their needs. So it's not, everybody has to come into the clinic. Maybe we go to them, maybe they have a a powwow, or maybe they have an event, we can go there and the, the leadership can help too. So it's actually integrating better with the community. And I know that that works and helping to get that message correct. There, people are working, you look right now, you watch the different messages that are coming out and it's different for every, might be different for every ethnic group. I know I volunteer um, to help do the vaccines. And I know I watch family members bring their one family member that didn't get vaccinated, they all come in together and they celebrate together. And that's, that, that, that's important to them, you know, that family, that solid family. So I think we need to just be open. It's not one size fits all. It's not everybody doing the same dance. So, you know, I, and again, to piggyback and Emerald Whites are so, so good at this and, and has such experience in these things. It, and that gets to the misinformation part of it. Which, is, which was fascinating to me, too, because I thought it was a one-size-fits-all misinformation out there, this campaign, the anti-vax movement, all this stuff. Well, certainly that's there. But you know what was fascinating to me? And I don't know if you caught it in the film. And, you know, you always want more time to explain things when you're putting these people in. But Governor Vial from the Acoma Pueblo 
And, and I hope it was explained well enough in the documentary, but he was telling me that they were, they were one of the first Pueblos in the, in the country to get the vaccine. And initially when they got it through the New Mexico Department of Health, people were lining up. They wanted the, the thing. Well, at the same time, schools were shutting down, right? So all their kids got Chromebooks because they had to go virtual. Well, they hadn't had access to the internet before. So suddenly all these families on Acoma Pueblo had access to the Internet. And he said he noticed distinctly this change and shift in people being more concerned and not coming to get the vaccines because the kids now had access to the Internet and families were sharing information, misinformation, as it turned out in a lot of cases, about the vaccine. And I think the misinformation that was out there, as, as Admiral Schweitzer was saying, was targeted in specific for specific fears regarding this, you know, for their particular organization or group or, or ethnic group. And that was fascinating to me. I, this unintended consequence of access to the internet equals suddenly more misinformation out there. And I think the misinformation that we're seeing, depending on what group you're in and depending on the algorithm that's out there, is, is spouting this stuff that is scaring people to death in various ways, shapes, and forms. So, so it's, it's interesting that the prevailing information was the misinformation and not positive information about the vaccines. Chris, I want to go back to something that you said before that I found very interesting. And Pam, I'd be interested if this is, has been your experience as well. You made a comment that basically I think what you were saying was that communities are not necessarily homogenous, that there's could be a difference between an African-American community in Chicago as compared to Los Angeles. What, what did you mean by that? Can you give us an example of some of those differences? Sure. Well, let's talk about, we were talking about the Native American community. The Navajo Nation, which of course is, is the biggest tribe in the country, and it's, it's part of New Mexico and Utah and Arizona and a little piece of Colorado there, I believe. They've done a great job. People, the, the president there has just done a spectacular job getting everybody vaccinated and getting them moving. And then when you look at it, and I, we had a little teeny piece of it in the documentary, but your listeners get to hear more of this. When, when we did the Native America Calling Show, and, and the woman called in from the, I believe it was the Osage tribe in, in Oklahoma. She explained, and we could only use a little piece of it, but she explained, she said, listen, first of all, we are, our tribe is very right-leaning. It is very insular. We have only had one or two deaths to this point. And we're not going to get the vaccine. Our people, and, and there was a uh, Washington Post article that she wrote saying, you know, our tribe is swimming in vaccines and nobody's taking them. So those are two distinctly different things from a, a, a group, but, but there, and actually Dr. McCabe said this too, which was really, and this is right to your point, Daniel, Dr. McCabe, the, the, the nay doctor who was on Native America Calling said, she told me, and I, I don't think we put it in the documentary, but she said, Chris, you have to understand when you visit one Native American tribe, you have visited one Native American tribe. There are, you know, hundreds across the country and they are all really different. So depend that that was the big example for me. Listen, every group is different. And then when we talked to Sabrina Cherry at, at uh, UNC Wilmington, 
when we talked to the head of the health department in Baltimore, the differences in terms of even those two areas and what was concerning to them and their communities was vastly different and really, really fascinating to me. But then what that means is it's like they always say, all politics is local, right? It's all local. It's all these small, you have to listen, you have to be informed, and you have to reach out individually in individual communities. So Pam, I see you nodding your head in agreement. Similar experiences, similar observations? Yeah, I learned just in there, you don't say, oh, the Navajo, they did this. You don't tell this to another tribe because they're they're unique. They're unique. You So you never use that phrase to say, well, they did it you know, to, because they, they're their own entity. And so you sort of start from scratch. And I think Chris, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So anyway, they're different. I worked with the, with the Sioux Indians up there in the Dakotas that they're going to come up, they're going to be different than, than the Alaska natives up in Alaska. They're all, they're all different and they, they all have something different. So they're, they need to be treated that way. And the same, you know, Hispanic communities, the same. The gentleman we had who was with the center up in Española, his Hispanic community there, their concerns and hesitations were based on vastly different things than, say, the Hispanic community in South Florida. And it, it, it just varies. It's really fascinating. And that's why that's why we broke the show up into, I know we were going to get to this, but we've, we've broken the show up into 30 small little chunks from 30 seconds to three minutes long that people can use and share because, you know, most people in this day and age don't have an hour to devote to watching a documentary about vaccination, especially if you have hesitancies anyway, do you want to watch this? Maybe, maybe not. But that's why we broke it up into these small sections for folks to use. So Pam, pharmacists roles as vaccinators have have grown over the last 20 years. Now with our COVID-19 experiences in mind. Are there new opportunities that you see to expand pharmacists and even pharmacy technicians' roles uh, in the vaccination arena? Yeah, that's a great question. And I was really pleased to see in the PrEP Act, you know, the that they added technicians in there. I just think it it's like a whole nother world for this. And I hope that, I know that pharmacy organizations are working to try to keep that extended. But you know, right now, as we're getting data, part of this is getting data, learning. That's what we're working on right now is being able to get the data and being able to target and actually tailor vaccination efforts in within our communities in there. And there's so much trust. That's actually why pharmacists were pushed so much, because you have you have a relationship with the pharmacist. If you're on any type of chronic medication or you there, you have, there's pharmacies all over the place, you can go into a pharmacy and you can go in there and after a while you get to know the pharmacist in there. And then that's where that trust is. See that same person over and over and over again. So I actually think it's a great opportunity now. And there people don't know about that. You talk to everybody right now. Oh, I can go to the pharmacy and get it without an appointment. You can walk in or you can schedule an appointment too, but you can actually go in and just talk with somebody. It, it, it's really nice to have access to a healthcare provider. So I think that that's huge and having technicians, and there is a whole different level. As you know, in the federal pharmacy, our technicians have been doing expanded these, they've had expansive roles for quite a, a bit of time now in the Department of Defense, you know, in the Indian Health Service, in the VA, all the federal pharmacy, our technicians have been invaluable. And it's really great that they can now 
the the on the private sector side they can you can see how how much they can help with these efforts yeah so so chris i think it's fair to say you know we're we're confronting both vaccine hesitancy and resistance and although the documentary is entitled vaccination from the misinformation virus i think you didn't explicitly take on an the outright politically driven vaccine resistance. Uh, Was that purposeful? Yes. Excellent, excellent question. It was purposeful because the initial thought was to push back against the political divide and those things and that misinformation that's out there. My initial visceral response was grab that thing and tell people why it's wrong. Well, as we study behavioral change and messaging, and we do that a lot, all of our programs are based on you know social issues and trying to do the right thing and trying to get help people stay healthy in a variety of ways. But but to convince people to change their health behaviors is a very interesting animal, and it's not just a matter of confronting the misinformation. So we, for two reasons, one is we didn't want to make this political. We cut out everything political in this. We, anybody said Republican, Democrat, we took it out. And we had a lot of that, believe me. But we took that out of the equation because we want everyone to look at this. And that's why we made those, those funny social media posts that I think everybody can laugh at on both sides of the aisle. You look at that and you, as we've tested it and done. Uh, friends on both sides of the aisle are laughing at these things, thinking they're funny. And that's good. And then we can come back and have a conversation about those things and them say information. The other reason was that we just didn't want to give anything in the air. The more you discuss misinformation, the more people are hearing the misinformation. So we just thought, let's leave all of that out. Let's not even talk about it. And we'll, we'll just make the assumption that this is people, when they see this, it is truthful. It is honest. It is scientific. Use this information. That was it. So as I've heard the two of you talk about approaches and partly what you've learned from this documentary, I've heard you talking about listening to people, going to their communities, not having big government intervention necessarily, but really empowering communities to become involved. But are there other effective ways to counter vaccine misinformation that you have begun to embrace through this documentary? Is there more that you've learned or are those the big things? Chris? Yes, we we built the show to do exactly what you're talking about. We built the show, as I mentioned, to pull out these short pieces because the best way to combat it is to put out the right information through as much social media as we possibly can. So that when we, we met with a lot of pediatricians a lot of pharmacists, a lot of epidemiologists, a lot of immunologists when we were designing the show before we ever took the camera out of the box. How can we make this effective for use? And one of the things we heard over and over again is, listen, we are trusted sources. When we ask people about their, you know, are you thinking about getting the vaccine? They will confide to us what their fears are. Well, then depending on the environment and the setting, if it's in the pharmacy or if it's in a doctor's office, after they get that out of them, they only have two minutes left with them because they got to move on to the next patient. So we wanted to give them tools 
that they could then share and say, listen, I hear why you're scared about the fact that you think the mRNA vaccine was developed overnight. And that's kind of scary. Well, let me I want to send you a, a one minute piece that explains that the mRNA vaccine has been in development for 30 years. And for the last 15 years, they've been researching how it works. So it's not an overnight thing. And then they can just shoot them an email or a follow-up and boom, they've got the information. So I think in, in social media realms, a number of organizations, including yours, is helping us get the information out through little teeny chunks, through social media, all forms of social media, in ways that I think will be very, very beneficial. Pam, what about you? Lessons learned, revelations that you didn't expect as you have been involved with this documentary in terms of the approach to countering resistance? Yeah, it, it really reinforced the importance of us, you know, integrating more with our communities and the community leaders and not waiting for people to come to the healthcare system and integrating more. So we each have the ability to reach out those of us that are in the health healthcare providers and pharmacists pharmacists specifically to reach out and get more engaged in our communities so that they know who we are instead of just waiting. So I've I think that part there it reinforced that especially for the underserved population because they're not going to necessarily come in if they have a question if there's a language barrier they're not going to come in and ask a question so they're going to sort of wait but if you go to them it'll be a lot different and if you go to them in their environment. I think it's a lot better. The other part that I realized, and I see this now because I'm still spending the same amount of time countering all the misinformation, whether it's around vaccines or anything, is that we need to figure out a way, a good way, and this is where the pharmacy organizations probably can help, of just getting correct information out there. I spend a lot of time researching, okay, so you know, it could be masks, it could be the ivermectin, whatever the topic is, you know, we need to nip it, you know, right away. And how do we get this correct information out there quicker? And these short little segments that Chris and his team have put together are invaluable. I've actually gone through and looked at them several times now, and I put them in little buckets because, oh, this message would be good for here. This message would be good for here. For example, in the Midwest, or actually everyone vaccinates their animals. They all vaccinate their animals. Why wouldn't we? And they talk a little bit about that. And it just, oh yeah, we all vaccinate our animals. Why would we not? We wouldn't want to lose a whole herd. And so you sort of, you can see just from being across the country, you can see how some of these messages are tailor-made for different segments. And I, I just think that that's invaluable. So Pam, you made reference to pharmacy organizations. Maybe if we could talk about that a bit more. Where you see pharmacy organizations such as ASHP helping to drive dissemination of the, the, the documentary or small segments of the documentary? What are other ways that we can really help to drive this? The relationships that individuals have in their community is really important. If there is any way to highlight, because what will happen is if I see Somebody, oh, they did this in this community. Great idea. I'm going to try this in my community. I think all of us want the vaccination rates to improve in our communities, and we all need ideas. And I think sharing ideas, sharing successes among each other, that's just constant, right in constant, letting us know, oh, this worked. Let me try this here. I know this person here in my uh, community. Maybe I can try and see if this will work here. So I think sharing successes is invaluable. 
And, and Chris, I imagine that you're having these conversations, not only with pharmacy organizations, medical organizations, again, as the producer and director, where do you see organizations, professional organizations and societies being most valuable in supporting the cause? I think exactly as Admiral Schweitzer had said, if they can, number one, share successes. Number two, we created this for them. The, these elements, the documentary, it's free. It's out there. There is no charge. There is no, you know, we, we've really designed it specifically for them and through them with their, as you saw those people that in the show, they, they're all the people that you're talking about and they told us this. So there's that. I think the other thing, and, and we alluded to it earlier, if we understand, and hopefully this documentary, we tried to weave this throughout as well. When you look at history, and, and we, we started and ended with that history, the human lifespan and how it's increased from age, 40 years of age used to be how all we live. And now we're up to the late 70s. Why? Because of vaccines. If we can help, and hopefully the documentary will help do that, explain that. Also to look at, and the gentleman talked about this too, to understand the health disparities, to understand the social determinants of health. And in fact, social determinants of health are a big part of hesitancy, are a big part of getting vaccinated. Maybe it's just a matter of, listen, they can't get off work to get there to get the vaccine. And they want to, but they can't get there because of these, because they're, they're work, they're working three jobs, you know. So if we look at the social determinants of health, and hopefully COVID has, if it's done anything good, it's, in, it's enlightened us into the fact that, that this is a huge issue in our country, these disparities, and we have to look at those. The other thing, and I, I do want to mention, I, I know you'll probably mention it as well, people can get all this information at our, our website for the show, which is the mis, themisinformationvirus.com. Very simple, themisinformationvirus.com. They can share things off there. They can contact me directly, and I'll share the information with them. They can get it through your organization, who's been a major help in, in uh, not only helping to fund the, the project, but helping to get the information out with, with things like this podcast. Um, you guys have access to all that and can give it out there. And, and we, we love that. And we so appreciate you. Got it. Pam, you were nodding uh, in agreement when Chris was talking about social determinants of health. Your thoughts there? Well, it just, I was, I was listening. I was thinking, you know, one of the areas like I know the immigrants immigrants that some of the misinformation that's out there how do we nip this they they hear through misinformation that oh it's not free they hear that it's in part of its language barrier they probably don't always can read everything they hear that they need a federal government id and that's like all totally not true and so it's if we're listening for this and we can counter this right away our pharmacy group the pharmacy groups all the medical groups can counter this and nip it right away to correct this. And we've got it, it. That's by regional. That's by region. If you have a community that is hearing it, we, if we can nip it and counter that right away, I think it's going to be really, really helpful for folks because there is so much misinformation out there. And language is a barrier. I know just even my, what the vaccination that I was doing, I would talk to them when they came in, they had already, their family had already convinced them. And I can tell that they had questions. And so you can kind of read their face, but you, you need a translator to to be able to get that question out and try to explain it and make them feel comfortable that that what they're doing, the decision that they made is actually the right decision. 
So anyway, it's been an honor really working with Chris. We have become very good friends from all of this. And I'm just so grateful. And I know that this is a forever friendship, one of those great friendships that started with with this. And we're going to just keep going and doing these screenings and, you know, reaching out. We're not going to give up, are we? No, and just when you mention language, we have it in we have it with Spanish subtitles, every little element and the entire documentary. So if people want that, we've got it available again on that website. So, Chris, it's interesting because as you watch the documentary and you realize that it's been picked up by PBS, one could immediately think, oh, well, to some degree, are we preaching to the choir by putting information like this out there on PBS. I've I've heard you and Pam clearly describe this morning how small segments of it can be used in many different ways to reach out to, to different organizations. But nonetheless, I'm still interested to know about your efforts to uh, get PBS to pick this up. Was that a heavy lift? Not at all. Not at all. We've done a number of programs that have been national PBS releases and very good people. They want to do the right thing. But, you know, and this this was the pushback. I have a badge of honor now. I've, I've been, you know, attacked from the other side, which I felt, you know, it's like, okay, I must be doing something right. The anti-vax movement has been on me and saying all sorts of stuff. But PBS is very clear about the differentiation between underwriters and producers. My, my journalistic integrity is incredibly important to me, which is why when we put these things out on PBS, they go, okay, he's done it. He's done it before. He's not going to lie to us. He's not going to take money that, that he shouldn't take. They understand that. And I think that gives it a legitimacy, which I think is very important because I, I do believe the PBS system has great legitimacy and, and rightfully so. So it wasn't a heavy lift, and they put it up on their – we have a presenting station, which is KNME, which is New Mexico PBS, because that's where I'm based. We have a great relationship. And then stations across the country can download it through the PBS system. If people want their local PBS station to pick this up, call your local PBS station or go to our website again. I See, I love this, the misinformationvirus.com. See how I slipped that in, Daniel? That's <laughs> There is the the PBS marketing one sheet. They can download that, send it to their PBS station. And the other really good thing, and I just want to mention this, and it's happening across the country now. Take this. You you don't have to be a huge brain to, to take this to your local church. Take this to your local PTA. Small groups can view this together. Or your family. Discuss that information. Or your family. And we know PTAs across the country are taking this into their PTAs. Church organizations taking it into their churches, their small thing. We're glad to have you have that documentary and and use it as, as you like in that regard. Chris has a great reputation, by the way, with the PBS folks. I'm very impressed. Everyone, they go, oh, Chris, when is your next one? They just love him. So, Pam, are there other ways at the community level, if it's uh, through local organizations or through schools and colleges of pharmacy, that pharmacists can become even more involved in ensuring the really the dissemination of this documentary throughout their communities? Thank you so much for that question, Dan. So, yeah, there are. And it's been really great hearing some of the creativity of people out there. And just a couple of examples would be you have, you know, in the waiting rooms of your, of the medical, of the office visits, 
or just waiting rooms or just anywhere where you see screens or constant videos on like on a TV or whatever, you know, you going up and contacting them and say, would you like to show either the, the, the entire PBS show or just some of the lift outs all lined up after another. There's like 30 of them, I think there's, or maybe even more, there's several of them that can just be played and you can go through and pick them. And so they have on that cycle running. So wherever that is, wherever you see like the, the, the screens doing that, that would be a place to do it. I know in movie theaters, if you have a local movie theater and you know them and they want to have a PSA, a public service announcement, you know, it can be incorporated into there. In local communities, the PBS stations, if you go look, they have all different markets. And I spent time looking at the markets and you go on their annual report and you can see who their market is. They actually have it analyzed like this is the market that they'll capture. If you contact them, and especially it helps if you're with a group, so a hospital system or a pharmacy school, individuals would help too, but it's even ways more just contacting, hey, we have, we see that this is available. And would you be able to on the PBS and the New Mexico PBS, could you, could you actually play this in our market? So just reaching out, that doesn't take very long. That's a phone call or an email to do that. And that's what we're trying to do systematically over time, you know, get it out into all these different markets, because no matter what we do, we want to have a different plan for everybody. It's not just one size fits all. And we want to just try to Those are just some examples right there. The other thing that Chris had mentioned earlier was, you know, hosting these screenings or, you know, it could be for a local church or a local senior center, or it could be for this public school system, just PTA, as was mentioned before. And there, you know, that it just depends on the environment, the political environment, if how open that would be. But I actually, if you if you have a good relationship, those are a good time to bring those out, too. And so it would seem to me, we see pharmacy students, large numbers of pharmacy students across the United States who are, during their doctor of pharmacy program, are trained to administer vaccinations. And it would seem that there's an opportunity for them. They're always looking for things to do in their communities to to really uh, help drive this drive uptake if it's in senior centers or through PTAs. Is that fair, Pam, that there is an opportunity here for the students? Absolutely. And the other place they can do, because students are a lot more savvy at, is even put some of this on social media. If they want to be brave enough and go on there and just, hey, put a message out, I think that would just be invaluable to do this, to counter some of this and let this try to get some of this viral, this correct information. Let's get this viral. So they could help even doing that and doing it systematically, you know, not all just put it up there at one time, but over a period of time that it's just constant because these messages will live for a long time. They're, they were designed to not be, to be timeless. And so I, I think it would be really good to keep on putting them up and posting that out. And then in their local communities, when they're out doing their screenings, they're doing blood pressure screenings, they're doing all these screenings, this is a great opportunity to pull this in. You can see that it was very pharmacist centric, you know, pharmacists are trusted. So this will tie right into that. 
So how's it being received so far? Chris, you mentioned some of the negative side, but on the positive side, how's it being received so far? Really, really well. I look at it in two ways. One, one is people who are, they're either health people or they're just lay people who watch this thing and go, you know, we've got a lot of anecdotal things where they go, I watched all the way through. I didn't think I'd watch it. We designed it to be engaging. We designed it. Here's, here's some background for those who are filmophiles. If you watch the movie Contagion, you're going to see a lot of the elements that with the same way, the style that we shoot, the way we did the graphics and the way we saturated some of the video. These are for people who like film. We did that on purpose and we shot it with three cameras so that we could really move the thing along and we could really help engage people in a, I won't say entertainment, but an infotainment kind of way. So our feedback on the health side and the lay people side has been very good. And then my friends who are in the industry, so to speak, the LA people and the New York people, I've been very pleased. They, they've all said, oh my goodness, this really engages and grabs and pulls you along. You don't realize you've been there for an hour. It feels like a 30 minute show. And that's the best compliment we can get. And Pam, what about our colleagues in pharmacy? Is it resonating among our community? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is spot on. And when the film was done, as you can see, it's not just about COVID. It's about vaccines in general. And I can tell you, I showed it to our granddaughter. She's four years old. I didn't show her the video. I showed her little segments. And I went and pulled out all the ones where they showed kids. And I, here, look at this. And she, she looked at it. And even her, my our four-year-old is going, why aren't people getting the vaccine? The vaccine is safe. So it, she's just as cute as can be. I need to get her on video and send it to you, Chris. Pretty much in the pharmacy community, anyone that's had a time or taken time to watch it, it's been great. There's screenings right now being organized all across the nation for the pharmacy groups to see it. They've embraced putting out the short lift outs. Those are being embraced. And I see those on social media. So it's been wonderful. Well, I want to congratulate Chris, you for this amazing work and Pam for all of your efforts to support it and disseminate it as well. And, and with that, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank Chris Schuler and Rear Admiral Pamela Schweitzer for joining me to discuss the documentary entitled Vaccination from the Misinformation Virus, which is now available to your local PBS stations at pbs.org and at themisinformationvirus.com. Join us here at ASHP Official for the entire collection of ASHP podcasts. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Pam. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official. ASHP Official.